0: Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. If you enjoyed our kids helping lead us in worship this morning, let's show them how much we appreciate them. Man, I love that. We're training them young, so thank you for Jerry and Kathy and making that happen today. We're so thankful you guys are up here helping us stay and, and engage us in worship. And so uh, today we're going to continue in our series, right in the middle of our series, through the book of Colossians called Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? And so hopefully what we've learned over the last several weeks is that really that Jesus is enough. That whatever we're pursuing in life, that he's enough based on who he is, based on what he's done, Jesus simply is enough. But what we said a couple of weeks ago was the enemy doesn't want us to embrace that truth, does he? And so what does the enemy do to try to keep us from embracing it by attacking the church with the philosophies of this world? And the philosophies that the church of Colossae had to deal with were the philosophies of legalism, asceticism, and mysticism. But the point was just simply this, that the enemy still works the same way today. He's still trying to inundate the church with philosophies of this world so we can create division where there should be unity. And so he doesn't want us to embrace this truth that Jesus is enough. But what Paul tells us over and over and over again is the philosophies of this world, I mean, they all fall short, don't they? They all make big promises but they all fall short. Let's just, for example, legalism. I know maybe you don't buy into legalism, but there's a part of us, even as Christians, I think we struggle with that. We struggle with this mindset, yes, I've been forgiven, yes, I belong to Christ, but somehow I feel like I've got to work more and work harder and do better to be more right with God. And you're wrong if you think that. He accepts you as you are. When he saved you, he changed you, and you're forgiven, accepted, and righteous before holy God, period, end of sentence. There's nothing else to that. But so even us, we struggle sometimes with this legalistic mindset of going, well, maybe I've got to perform, and we don't. And so these worldly philosophies are still inundating the, the church, and Paul says all of them are bogus. Every single one of them fall short of the promises they're making. And so Paul, in last week, he shifts gears, and he moves away from addressing these philosophies that all fall short, and he talks about if we're going to live a life to honor the Lord, if we're going to live a life and live this virtuous life where we are embracing the truth that Jesus is enough. He says there's three things you've got to do. You've got to you've got to protect your mind, you've got to protect your heart, and you've got to keep your testimony in check. Three things you have to do, keep your mind in check, your heart in check, and your testimony in check. Now today I love the passage today because Paul takes it just a little bit deeper. If you read the book of Colossians correctly, everything with Paul just a little he goes an inch deeper a little bit every week. And so what he's going to do today is he's going to take us a little bit deeper into those things that we've got to keep in check. So today he's going to look at three things that we have to do if we're going to keep our heart in check, if we're going to keep our mind in check, and if we're going to keep our testimony in check. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. Chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Chapter 3, and if you don't mind, I know you just sit down, but we need some calisthenics. So if you'll stand up with me, if you don't mind, in the honor of reading God's Word. Verse 5, it says this. "...put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices." And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creation. Here, the, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, uh, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for this word today, Lord. I pray that you would, that you would communicate this truth so powerfully to us today. Lord, we thank you that just for the few moments we had to go in worship and adoration that we were able to enter in your throne room and declare some amazing truths about you being a promise keeper and how you, how you, how you do amazing things in our lives. So Lord, with that, with that heartbeat, may we listen attentively to your word and may you speak powerfully to us today. For it's in your precious son's name we pray, amen. You may have a seat, may have a seat. Now, as you look at the passage, as I said, there's three things. If we're gonna keep our heart in check, our mind in check, And our testimonies we talked about last week. If we're going to keep them in check, there's really three things that we've got to do that Paul elaborates on in verses 5 through 11. And the first one's found in verse 5. Go back to verse 5 with me. He says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And the very first thing that Paul says is that we must put to death earthly things. If we're going to keep our heart, our mind, and our testimony in check, we need to put to death earthly things. Now, I want you to know this because most of us don't think this way. This is pretty intense terminology that Paul is using here, because to put to death means what? Not a trick question. What does put to death mean? To kill it, right? You got to kill something. Now, some translations will say bring it into submission, but really, if you look at the Greek word there, it literally means to kill something, to put it to death. I mean, there's, in other words, there's something in you that is causing you to go down in the wrong way so much that you can't just put it aside. You can't just put it on the back burner. You literally have to kill it in your life. And in fact, if you read it incorrectly in the right context and the right tense, it means continue to kill it over and over and over and over again. And then Paul tells us what we're to kill. He says the earthly things that are in you. Now, here's basically what Paul's saying. The tendencies of the flesh... You've got to kill those things. Now, I want you to know something before we get into it because, you know, for some of us, man, these things that he mentions are extremely personal. They're extremely private. And at this point in the message, nowhere am I asking anybody to raise their hand, but I want you to know something. Paul's saying the things that we're about to talk about, they are so severe and they so affect the person that that claims to be a follower of Christ. It so impacts your testimony, your heart, and your mind. The only way you can address them is by putting them to death. You gotta kill them. You can't let them linger around. And he lists five things. The first thing he lists is the word sexual, the first thing he lists is sexual morality. That phrase there is where we, the word in the Greek, pornea, it's where we get the English word for pornography. And actually sexual morality is kind of a catch all kind of couple of words. It means any act of sexual sin. So any act, in the mind, the heart, physical, he says any act that, you gotta put that stuff aside. Now, for, you know, I guess if you want to kind of say, what would fit into that, Doug? Well, adultery fits in that, right? That's when someone who's married decides to have a physical intimacy with somebody who's not their wife. That is sexual immorality. Also, there's a word we don't use often in church, the word fornication, which is those two people who aren't married but choose to have physical intimacy outside the framework of marriage. That too would be considered sexual immorality. And Paul says, listen, you've got to kill these things. In fact, I love it in 1 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there, but you know what the word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians? He says, flee sexual morality." Did you know that? In fact, if you, if you follow Paul, which is amazing, Paul says a lot of the times, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. But when it comes to sexual morality, Paul says, get out of Dodge. You can't handle it. And he says, if this thing is in your life, if you really have allowed yourself to engage in these acts uh, of sexual sin, you've got to kill those things in your life. You've got to put them to death. So this word sexual morality is kind of an all-embracing of all the sexual sins. And then it gets a little bit more specific. He uses the word impurity. Now that word impurity just means unclean and filthy thoughts and words. So impurity here means the, the, the unclean and filthy thoughts and words. So let me give an example of that. So have you ever been in your workplace, men and women, where people are telling jokes that are very off color and very sexual and overtone? You ever been in a place like that? Don't be a part of that's what he's saying. Don't let that become part of your life. Maybe you've been telling those jokes. Don't tell those things anymore. Well, you know, we didn't really mean it. Well, it doesn't matter. That's impurity. Or lust. Where does lust happen? It happens in the mind. He's like, listen, don't let, don't let these, un, these filthy, unclean words or thoughts be part of your life. And listen, you can't just go, well, you know, I just won't do it anymore. I just won't think that anymore. No. We have to recognize that we have to put those things to death over and over and over again. So he says sexual morality. He says impurity. And then he says Passions. Now, I want you to listen to me on this one. Passions, he's giving you more specific because they refer to the ungodly cravings of the flesh, the ungodly cravings of the body. Now, let me clarify that for just a minute. Here's something I want everybody to know, especially all of our teenagers. God made you the way he made you, Amen? You're like, I'm not so sure I should say amen. You are. I mean, God made you with all the desires that you have as a man and a woman. God made you that way. Don't let anybody tell you any different. However, God has given us a framework with which to, to act on those desires. You know what the framework is? marriage, right? Marriage is the framework with our spouse to act on those desires. So passions here is those cravings that we have of the flesh that go beyond that of marriage, those that we have that, that are not tied to our marriage. He said, those of you that have passions, that have these ungodly cravings of the flesh and are not married, you've got to kill those things. Not that God has made you wrongly, but God has given us a framework with which to use those cravings, and it's not outside the framework of marriage. If that makes sense, say, I got that. I'm telling you, Paul, Paul is addressing it here. He's like, listen, passions are those things that the cravings of the flesh, and you've got to kill those things. When they rise up, kill them right then. Don't let them linger, don't let them stay around, don't let them hover, you've got to kill those things. And then he says another one. He says, evil desires. Now, this word really if you looked at the translation of it, it really is kind of the worst of everything else he's already said. Evil desire really talks about an intense and violent cravings. Meaning if you took everything else he just said and, and put it on steroids where it was off the chart intense, that's what evil desires are. Because you and I all probably know people that somewhere along the line have allowed these things, whether it be sexual morality, impurity, or you know any of this stuff, this passions, allowed it to come into their lives and now they're to the place where we, we look at them and go, they have an addiction issue, right? We know people like that probably. Or maybe you, you wrestle with that. Well, listen, that's what evil desires. It's someone who's gotten to the place where it is violently just a part of who they are. Evil desires. And then I find the last word he uses extremely interesting. He says, nothing about it. sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desire." And the covetousness, I'm like, what? (laughs) You know, when I covet, it's like, I want your car because I like your car better than mine. That's what, I mean, that's what, but that's not really the heart of what Paul's saying. He said, listen, what is the root of every kind of sexual sin? What is the root of all of it? I covet something that does not belong to me, Right? Sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires are all at the very core. At the very core, every single one of them is about craving something that does not belong to us. And he says, Guys, listen, you got to put it to death. You got to put those things to death. Because what happens if we don't put them to death? Well, he tells us what happens. Listen to this. He says, you need to put to death, therefore, what is earthly news, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evils, idols, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. If we let these things run rampant in our lives, listen, they will become the priority of our life. And when it becomes the priority of our life, it becomes an idol. Are you hearing me on that, church? When it becomes a priority, it becomes an idol. And when it becomes an idol, that means it now has power over me. So this is really important. This is super important that the church of Colossae and us as well, because listen, the church of Colossae, they wrestle with the same stuff we wrestle with. And if you study even the church of Corinthians, one of the things that they had to battle was they were having all these massive parties where all the sexual morality was going on because they, they wanted people to be involved in the worship of their God. And so this thing ran rampant all through that area. And so Paul's addressing an issue that every church there was going to have to struggle with. And it's like, hey, listen, I want you to make sure that your heart is pure and you've got to put these things to death. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, he's not talking to the Christian. Well, yes, he is. Paul's addressing the church of Colossae, and he's addressing believers. And I just wanna say this to you. If you think for one second, as a believer, that you're immune to giving in to these sins, you're lying to yourself. Because I'm telling you, if there's anything the enemy wants to do, is he wants to attack us with these sins so that he can really impact us. In fact, that's why Paul said, flee sexual immorality. You know why he said that? He said, because every other sin is outside the body, but this sin, those kinds of sins, affect the entire person. In other words, every sin is equal. We all know that. But if you lie, that has a different consequence. But if we are engaging in sexual immorality or impurity our passions our covetousness or evil desires, that affects the core of who we are. That affects our heart. That affects our mind. It affects all of us. So Paul says, listen, put it to death. Put it to death. Now, he gives a couple of reasons why there. Let's go back and look. Look at me in verse 6. He gives a couple of reasons why we need to put a death, even beyond the obvious. He said, on account these, with these, the wrath of God is coming. See, when we let these sins in our life, that brings wrath, not blessing, right? I mean, is God going to bless us if we're engaging in these kinds of sins? Come on, that's not a trick question. I know it's one of these tough topics. You're like, I don't know if I want need to say anything to that. You do, all right? So, I mean, does does God want us? I mean, if we engage in these, is God going to have a desire to bless us? No, he's not. So he says, listen, wrath is coming. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are way smarter than me going, wait a minute, Doug. Wrath is very rarely associated with believers. Well, listen, I believe with all my Paul's using the word wrath here to paint us a picture of the severity of this kind of sin. He's painting a picture here of the severity of the kind of sin that we are engaging in, saying, listen, this is a sin that affects every part of who you are. And if you let sexual sins as a part of your life, listen, God will discipline you. He will. If you let it linger, if you let it hover, if you let it stay there, God's going to discipline you. And then he gives another reason why we should put these things to death. Verse 7 says this, in these, talking about these sins, you too once walked and when you, where you lived in them. In other words, he says, listen, these sins were part of your past. This is who you used to be. You're not that person anymore, right? You don't belong to the old self. You are a new creation in Christ. In fact, if you're a man, you're a new man in Christ. If you're a woman, you're a new woman in Christ. This is not who you are anymore, so stop acting like it and put those things to death. So Paul says, listen, if we're going to keep our heart in check, and if we're going to keep our mind in check, and if we're going to keep our testimony in check, the first thing we have to do is there's some things in our life that we have to put to death. If you've got to say amen this morning. Let me give you the second thing he says, and you're like thankful we're moving on. right, here we go. Verse 8 and 9 says this. He gives a second one. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and have seen talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. The second thing he says is, no, must we put some things to death, but we must put aside earthly things. We must put aside earthly things. So there's some things that have to be killed and put to death, and there's some things that need to be put aside. That translation could be things that need to be laid off to the side. And maybe a better way of saying it is things that we take off. See, the things that Paul's going to mention here are things that we've on purpose put in our lives that we need to take off of our lives So he says I want you to put some things aside Now interestingly the things he's going to mention here While the other things were extremely personal About our sin inwardly These are about sins that we commit outwardly Against other people So listen to the ones that he mentions here He mentions six The first one is anger He said if you have anger You got to put the anger aside Now I know some of you are thinking Well Doug Is it, sinf- is it sin to be angry? And the answer is No Scripture says, be angry, but don't sin in your anger, right? Do you think Jesus ever got angry? He went to the temple, didn't he? He flipped over some tables. i say he was pretty ticked off, wouldn't you? I mean, Jesus got angry, but there's a difference here. That anger is an anger that comes because of something that was done wrong. You go, I need to address it. I need to rebuke it. I need to handle it. This anger is different. The word here for anger here is a deep smoldering that takes place. So it's not, hey, something, somebody did something to me that made me anger angry. This is something that I've never dealt with that is just deeply rooted in me and is just smoldering. Have you ever seen a fire when it puts out and it's still hot because it's just smoldering there? That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a deep resentment and bitterness that's taken place, a deep resentment and bitterness. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself this question. Have you ever known anybody that was like this? Now, here's, here's really what Paul's getting at. This is not just an issue you gotta put aside. This is really a disposition of the heart. You ever met someone who was just an angry person? Come on, you ever met somebody like that? Man, there's angry. There's angry. I mean, something's happened to them that never went addressed, never sought forgiveness, and there's just a deep smoldering that's going on within them, and there's a bitterness and a resentment that's built up. Listen, that's the position of their heart. Paul says you got to deal with that. Now, what's the natural evolution of a heart that is anger, that has anger that's never been dealt with? What's the next word he uses? Wrath, right? What does anger lead to if it goes undealt with? Wrath. What is wrath? Wrath is a sudden outburst of anger. That's what it is. It is a better way to put it, it's an explosion, right? Have you ever experienced that? If you've been married, you probably have, right? There's an explosion that takes place there. And so there's a sudden outburst. This anger, listen, this anger that has become the disposition of their heart, this anger that is now deeply seated and simmering and smolding or deep bitterness and resentment is eventually it's going to blow. Anybody ever had that struggle in your life? I'm gonna tell you, there's so many times I talk to people, counsel people, and we, we, I don't know why we do this, but we operate in the mindset to sweep it under the rug, sweep it under the rug, sweep it under the rug. Well, eventually the rug is gonna get so high you can't walk over it anymore right? And some of you just repress that, repress that, repress that, and all of a sudden you put the toilet paper on wrong and there's an explosion that happens in your house and you have no idea why. Why? Because there was anger that went undealt with and where did it lead? Led to wrath, right? Now now hear me on this. I love Paul's, the way he drives this here. Listen, these top three are connected because it starts with the disposition of heart. Anger, a heart that's got this deep smoldering will lead to wrath. An explosion of that anger, and then it leads to a third thing he mentions here: malice. Now, malice is one of those words. I think in the English language we lose a little bit because in the original language it had a very intense meaning. In the English language, like malice means ah, you may wrestle with malice. Maybe Jason wrestles with malice. You know what the word malice means? It is really probably one of the most, the biggest moral evils that it's out there. It's it's literally wishing ill will against somebody else. That's what malice is. I wish injury and hurt on somebody else. So when we make the statement, well, they'll get what's coming to them, that's malice. We make the statement, you know, they hurt me, boy, I hope somebody comes along, that's malice, right? When we wish ill will on somebody, that's malice, right? Now listen to me, follow this. Anger that's undealt with simmers. What happens there? It explodes in wrath, and what does it lead to in your heart? It leads to malice. Now, please follow me for a moment. Some of you, you don't get to malice without the other two. You hear me on that? You don't get to malice unless there's wrath there, and there's not wrath there unless there's anger there. So if you find yourself in a place this morning where you're like, you know what, there have been times in my life where I kind of thought, ill. I'm not saying you hope they died in a car, because that's not what I'm talking about, but there was something about you that you're like, I, I, you know, if they, if they really kind of got sick and taken out of commission for a while, I'll be okay with that. That's malice. It didn't start with malice. It started way back here with anger. And Paul says, listen, you got to put it aside. you got to put your big boy pants on, your big girl pants on. And you got to deal with that stuff. Because if not, it's going to ultimately destroy your walk with Christ. Put it aside. Then he lists three more things that are also equally connected. He moves from kind of th- that notion to the things we speak. He says slander. You know what slander is? Slander is speech that's designed to attack someone else's character. That's what slander is. Speech that is designed to attack someone's uh, character you know how we best do that in church? Come on, how do we best do that in church? Gossip, right? And we've, 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 we've cornered the market in church because we Christianize gossip, right? You know, hey, can you, know what? You, you, you need to, you know what? Hey, listen, come on. You need to pray for that Elijah guy. I'm just telling you. I, I can't tell you what's going on. But I'm just telling you. He don't he care. But you, you need to pray for him because listen. Now, listen, if I said nothing else, by the way I said that, all I've done is create intrigue in your mind that something maybe is immorally or totally wrong with Elijah that I need to pray for him. What have I done? I've just slandered Elijah. Now listen to me, church. We have to be careful of the words that come out of our mouth. Now, if the words come out of our mouth, going, "Well, I probably shouldn't tell you. Well, you probably shouldn't tell us. <laughs> Don't say it. He says, listen, for, you know, you've got to deal with your anger, your wrath, and your mouth. But listen, when it comes to what comes out of your mouth, slander is a real big issue. Slanders when you're trying to say things to destroy somebody else's character. And then it goes on to this notion of obscene talk. You know what obscene talk is? It's abusive speech designed to injure somebody else. It's literally verbally tearing them down. That's obscene talk. Now, some of you may have experienced that in your childhood, right? Some of you as a parent experienced it in your childhood and have found yourself as a parent doing it. And when you do it, you go, I hate that I've done that. I hate that I've become like the very people that did that to me, right? And so obscene talk becomes this language of I'm trying to say things to intentionally hurt you. And then the last word he uses is lying. In other words, make sure you're not speaking falsely. So don't speak words to attack someone's character. Don't speak words that are tend to hurt somebody. And don't speak falsely. Now, I, I was teaching, Elijah and I and Patrick were teaching uh, Orange County, the... the uh, uh, chapel this last week, and I used one of Elijah's illustrations. It was really good. It was toothpaste on a plate, and I, and I put this toothpaste on the plate. I squeezed it out, and I showed the kids, and I go, okay, kids, when I put the toothpaste on the plate, I've got too much to brush my teeth. Can I get the toothpaste back in the tube? No. Now, all the kids were like, yeah, you can do it. No, 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 you can't do it, right? No, you can't do it. Some kids are like, you get a syringe. No, 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 Can you put it back? No. Listen to me. When it exits here, you can never take it back. Once it comes out. But they hurt me. I don't care. But I was right. It doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you, I'm right most of the time. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But I'm going to tell you this. What I've learned over my years, I, I'd rather be wrong and not hurt somebody than be right and hurt somebody with my words. And I'm just telling you, slander, abusive speech, and lying needs to be put aside. And then Paul tells them one more thing. He says, you need to to put some things to death. You need to put some things aside. Then look with me, verse 10 through 11. He tells us one more thing. He says, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not a Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Now here's what Paul does. He says, listen, if we're going to keep our heart in check, our mind in check, and our testimony in check, listen, we've got to put some things, that, listen, seriously, we've got to put some things to death. Hey, nobody else needs to know, but God knows. We've got to put them to death. And then there's some things that you've put on in your life, like anger, malice and wrath, slander, abusive speech, lying. And you've got to take those things off. He said, but the last thing he said, I want you to be reminded that you've put on the new man. That you put on the new man, right? So I want you to put some things to death. I want you to put some things aside. But he says, I want to remind you that you have put on the new self. That's our last point. You've put on the new self. Now, I love this part of the passage because what Paul does here, and we'll get to it the next two weeks, Paul is going to, it's kind of a transition verse because the next two weeks, we're going to talk about everything that Paul says that we're to put on. So we put some things to death. We put some things aside. And the next two weeks, we're going to talk about things we need to put on. But this transition verse, he's basically saying, listen, those of you that have said yes to Christ, you've put on the new self. See, the old self was the self that was wretched, depraved, and wicked. The new self is the self that is righteous, that is holy, that's accepted, and that is forgiven. And when you said yes to Christ, you put on the new self. Is that good news this morning? Yes, I'm not the same that I used to be. I put on the new self. Now, Paul also uh, admits here that even though you've put on the new self, you're gonna struggle. Anybody made it yet? Anybody perfect yet? Anybody think you're perfect yet? Tyler, okay, I got you. You're pretty good. Nobody's made it, right? Listen, you notice what he says here. He says, listen to this. He says, here there is not, I'm sorry, verse 10, he says, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator. In other words, you are not done yet you are a work in progress. God is still renewing and working in you. God is doing a work in you. So Paul wants them to be reminded, yes, you've got to put some things to death. Yes, you've got to put some things aside, but don't forget, you've put on the new man. You belong to the Lord and he's doing a work in you. He's renewing and shaping and fashioning and molding you. Don't forget that. And then he says one more thing they need to know. Look at the last verse there, verse 11. Here there is not Greek or Jew or circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. He says, listen, as the person who is a new man, there must not be any division in the church. As those of you that put on the new man, listen, when you put that new man on, you belong to the Lord. You are a work in progress, and we have to recognize that there is no division or barriers that are to be in this church, In fact, what Paul's saying is no man-made barriers should ever enter the church. Can I just speak from my heart for a moment? For the last two years, we've had some man-made barriers and philosophies that have been trying to invade the church, right? And we need to make sure as a body of Christ that we make sure as people that are new men and new women who know that God is working in us, that we're not perfected yet, that God is still working, that we refuse to let anything come to divide the church. Why? Because what makes us one? Christ in us. There should be no division of race, no division of education, no division of economic status, and no division of your political party. We are one in Christ and must make sure we always act that way. You believe that this morning? I'm telling you, if there's one thing the enemy's trying to do, he's trying to divide the church. And there's philosophy after philosophy and theory after theory that he's inundating the church. And we need to remember that what binds us together is that we are in Christ that we put the new man on. That's what I want to ask you this morning. Paul talks to the church of Colossae. He says, listen, guys, if you're going to keep your heart, your mind, your testimony in check, you've got to put some things to death. You've got to put some things aside. And you've got to remember and never forget, you put on the new man. You belong to him. So here's the question I have for all of us this morning. Is there anything you need to put to death? Now, now listen, when we think about that, I know some of you are like, man, that's like a hard self-examination, right? Is there things that he mentioned there, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness that we need to put to death this morning? Is there some things in our life maybe we need to put aside? anger and wrath and malice and slander and all those things. What do we need to put aside this morning? And so in just a moment, after I pray, we're gonna open this altar up. And if you've got some things you need to put to death, I'm gonna invite you to the altar. If you've got some things you need to put aside, I'm gonna invite you to the altar. Or if you're like some of us in the room go, you know what, I don't have anything to put to death or aside necessarily, but I wanna make sure that my heart's on guard and my mind's on guard and I wanna ask the Holy Spirit to keep me on point, I invite you to come to the altar. Because the moment we put our guard down, guess what? We're going to fall. We're going to fall. And so if you just got some things you need to put to death, put aside, or just pray for God's the Holy Spirit's protection in your life from those things, I invite you to come to the altar. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ. Listen to me. You've never trusted Christ. If you've got some of these sins going in your life, you can't do it on your own. You can't fix those on your own. You can't stop those on your own. You can only do it through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. And the only way you can have the power and the help of the Holy Spirit is if you invited Jesus into your life. And if you've never made that decision, I would love to tell you more about that. And you can see me after the service, or I'll be standing right there, but please don't leave this morning if you've never made that decision. So right now, I'm going to ask everybody, stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye to be closed. And before we go to the Lord in prayer, I just want to say this too. With every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to say that. If you've got some things you need to put to death today, would you do that? Hey, nobody's casting judgment. Nobody's going to make assumptions. But your marriage, your life, your relationship with the Lord is at stake here—the growth of it or the demise of it. Or maybe you're here this morning, so you know what, Doug. There's some things that I I need to put aside. I didn't realize I had malice in my heart, but I do. And I know that's because I've let wrath go. And I, I know it's because I've let anger simmer. And I've got to do some real business today. Well, would we come to the altar and let that be known to the Lord and confess it to him? Or maybe you're like me this morning. And say, Lord, I need to be on guard. I want my mind to be on guard, my heart to be on guard. I want to be protected from those things. I want to see them coming from a distance, Lord, so that I can run from them. I can address those things as they come through your power and through your help. Maybe that's you this morning. Would you just come to the altar and let him know that? Father, I love you. I thank you for your word today. I think it's a very timely word. I think, Father, probably for the word for me that, 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 that really I just can't get over is how that Paul addressed the church and said, Listen, once we are in Christ, there is no division. It's not about black and white and brown. It's not about Democrat and Republican. It's not about rich and poor. It's not about a doctorate or a high school education. What brings us together is that we've said yes to the one who died for our sins. What brings us together is that Jesus is our foundation, that we are in him. And so God, I pray with everything in me that as believers that we would not let the world and the enemy attack us with these crazy worldly philosophies, trying to get us to buy into anything else. We are one in you. And may we live that way. May we fight division. May we fight barriers. And may we be reminded and remind people all the time that in Christ, we are one. So God, just be with us today. If we've got to put some things to death, help us do it. If we've got to put some things aside, help us do it. But Lord, please help us all be reminded that if we're followers of You, that we've put on the new self, the new self that You're working in, and doing a work in us, and a new self that's called to be one with our other believers. God, may we never forget that. I pray in this moment, Lord, that You would move, that You would touch our hearts, and that we would be faithful to respond. So, Lord, we need You in this moment. Touch us. Convict us. But God, most importantly, would you change us today? For it's in your precious and your Holy Son's name we pray. Amen. If you feel led, put some things to death, put some things aside, or just praying for the Holy Spirit's protection in your life in these areas, the altar's open.